Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Well, I'm going to, we're going to continue our end of the deep series on worship. This will be the third week that we've been in it. Um, and I have defined for you the, the intent of this is to, to break through the crust of what we think worship actually is and to bring us to a realization of what worship actually is. Worship, as I stated prior, prior, prior to um, our offertory and our worship in song, is a lifestyle of worship. It has to be who we are or it's not worship at all. And so I've defined worship for you um, on several occasions, specifically in this series, as this. Reverence to the point of obedience and adoration of God. Reverence and adoration to God. Now, reverence should bring obedience. I'm going to talk about that today. But reverence and obedience of God is worship. And so we should always reverence God, be obedient to God, and adore Him for who He is and what He's done in our life. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about that today. Specifically, I want to talk to you about worship is reverence. Because I've defined worship as reverence and adoration, most everybody knows what adoration is, but I feel like I really need to drill down into what reverence means. Reverence is the fear of the Lord. And you're going to hear me say and maybe use these terms interchangeably through this sermon, but reverence is fear of the Lord and fear is reverence. Now, there's two kinds of fear that you'll find in your Bible. There's the kind of fear that drives you away from something and a fear that drives you to something. And our purpose, our hope is to, our fear of the Lord, our reverence of Him drives us to Him into deeper relationship with Him. Amen? And so, but to do that, we have to do a couple things. The first thing I think is necessary is that we actually know the definition. The actual definition for reverence is to treat God with great respect, to honor and express gratitude, and to obey His commands. In order for me to reverence God, I have to treat him with respect. I have to honor him. I have to express gratitude, and I must be obedient. By definition, this is what reverence is. And so in my worship, which is my lifestyle, I should be all of these things. Get it out of your head, and I'm going to say it a hundred times because of the culture we live in. Worship is not singing, although worship includes singing. Everybody all right? Man, I just want to, I feel like I could say that a hundred times today and then leave here and be done and have taught us more than we can consume because our culture has taught us that worship is a, is a time frame. Well, it is a time frame. From the time you come to a knowing understanding of who God is until you die and spend eternity with Him, that should be your life of worship. 
And so I want to talk to you about that, about reverence. I'm going to do that starting with an illustration from real life, from my real life. Many of you know, many of you don't, probably, that I was a runaway when I was 14 years old. I was a runaway on the streets of downtown Dallas. And that was not a safe place for a 14-year-old to be. Um, there was safety issues, um, often hungry, often tired, uh, often without shelter. Matter of fact, I spent the majority of my nights away in a vent closet, a dryer vent closet of a laundromat because it was warm and relatively protected there. After some time of being a runaway, my grandfather tried several times, my papa tried several times to call me down in Dallas. He lived up here. And over and over and over again, he got the answer, he's over at a friend's house, or he's not here right now, or he's out playing, or insert whatever issue here. After almost a year, my papa said, something ain't right. I can't get a hold of my grandson. Something's not right. I'm going to go find out what it is. And so he went to Dallas, realized I was a runaway, went with a friend of his, realized I was a runaway, and then walked the streets of downtown Dallas until they found me and brought me home. That's how I ended up in Middle Tennessee. Let me tell you, their love for me provided a warmth like I'd never known. A love for me like I'd never known. Security like I'd never known. I can remember sitting in my twin bed, laying in my twin bed. I would intentionally stay in bed longer than I knew my grandmother would be because it was her habit to get up in the morning and play on the piano and sing. And whether she could sing or not, I thought she could sing like an angel. It was just beautiful to me. I wasn't saved, but she sung hymns, and it was just, it was just so comforting to me to hear her sing. And they provided all of those things, gave me all that provision at no cost to me, except for one, obedience, reverence. They required that I walk in reverence in that house, that I honor them for what they'd given me. If I disrespected Papa, if I disrespected Grandma, then rights and privileges were taken away from me. And God deserves that same thing from us. He's done everything to pay the price to ensure that we walk in the security, the safety, and everything that we have to create in us a comfort that we have. And all he asks from us is that we reverence him. That we walk in fear of him. That we know who he is. That we search after him. That we live a life of worship. And as long as we do that, we have a promise that we will be blessed. And he's true to his word. Amen. 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 And so I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about what reverence actually looks like and why it's necessary if we're to live a lifestyle of worship. Reverence looks like Isaiah when he says, woe is me. You know, Isaiah realized he was a sinner in the hands of a perfect God and it freaked him out. But he didn't run. He pressed in. He said, what do you want from me? 
Not only Isaiah, Simon Peter says in Luke, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But he pressed in in his fear. It looks like Paul, who having been knocked off his horse, asked the question, who are you, Lord? And then was obedient to do exactly what God told him to do from that point forward to the end of his life, no matter what it cost him. That's reverence. That's a heart and a lifestyle of worship. Amen? That's in 1 Samuel. That's Abishai or David, who wouldn't let Abishai run Saul through, wouldn't let Abishai kill Saul because God placed Saul. And he didn't want to put himself in a position to where he would be answerable to God. And so he pressed into God knowing that God would call him and cause him to reach the achievable goal he had called him to, not by his own hand. All of these things require reverence from us, a true heart of worship. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want anything from us except for everything from us. That's heavy, right? But it's beautifully heavy because he has done everything to ensure, including giving us his Holy Spirit, that we can walk in that kind of reverence. And so I want to talk to you about this, this every believer walking and worshiping in reverence from 1 Peter. I'm going to teach out of one verse today. It's 1 Peter 1.17. It says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth. I want to talk about reverential worship and what it looks like based on this singular verse. First, Reverential worship, worship that fearfully pursues and chases after God, increases our knowledge of Him. 17a, the first third of that verse, is if you address as Father, and I'm going to stop right there. If you're in relationship with God, you get the opportunity, the privilege to call Him Father. Abba Father, which is the most intimate kind of Father. You have the right to call Him Father. And so if you are in relationship with Him to the degree that you can call Him Father, then you should reverentially worship Him. Amen? Let me tell you, that worship of Him, that fatherhood, that expectation of relationship doesn't happen with you. It happens by provocation of the Holy Spirit in Christ alone. I get to call God Father because of Christ Jesus. Everybody all right? A couple of y'all started looking at me crazy. You have nothing if you don't have Jesus. Nothing. Zero. Nada. Because it is Jesus Christ that died to give us relationship to be the intercessor between us and the God to create peace where there was enmity by the shedding of his own blood. It is Jesus Christ that bought us out of darkness, brought us into light. It is Jesus Christ that atoned for our sins. It is Jesus Christ that had his flesh ripped and his blood shed for our sinfulness so that we might spend eternity with God. It is through Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone that we have relationship with God. I don't want to mince words with you today. I don't want you to walk away here thinking that there's any other way to heaven except for Jesus. You can't worship God if you don't know God. Amen. And you can't know God unless you know Jesus. 
but there's such benefit and beauty to knowing Jesus. I love this. My grandkids are here today, and I'm pretty excited about that. Let me tell you, let me read this text to you. And this, I brought that up for a reason. It's going to make sense in a second. Because of Jesus and the sacrifice that he gave us, we can walk in confidence to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. Jesus, being the conduit by which we have relationship with God as Father, gives us the confidence to come boldly into his throne room and expect to receive. I bring up my grandkids to try to humanize this to you to a degree to where maybe you can grab a hold of it. I don't care who I'm in a meeting with. I don't care if the president himself decided to stop here and meet with me in my office. My grandson or my granddaughter walk in the room. Now, we may not stop talking, but they are welcome to come and crawl in my lap while we talk. They will never be denied because there is intimate relationship there. They have access to me no one else will ever have access to because of who they are to me, because I'm Papa, because they have relationship as Father with me. And so it is between us and God. Through Christ Jesus, we get to call God Father, and because we call God Father, we should be able to boldly come into his office, into his throne room, crawl up into his lap, fearfully instead of running away in fear and talk to him about all the stuff we got going on in our life. And let me tell you, if that doesn't cause you to worship, it should. In your downtime, let me tell you, your saddest time is never in this room. Your most persecuted time is never in this room. Your best time is never in this room. But it's in this room that I'm telling you that when all of those things happen, God is present as Father and you have a right to crawl up in His lap and talk to Him about what you're dealing with. And that should cause us to worship in reverence as a lifestyle, to truly fear God. Amen? Man, that's good. I could stop right there. Jesus is enough. He's not just enough. He's the only thing. John chapter 14, verse 6 says so. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everybody say no one, comes to the Father except through me. It's through Christ Jesus that we are heirs with Christ. We are part of his family. And so the first part of that verse, I address him as Father because of who I am to Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on my behalf. But here's what I want you to understand too. Because I know him, I must continue in reverence of him. As Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy God that we serve comes through fear of the Lord and obedience. I told you a moment ago that obedience is a parenthetical statement to reverence. It's not reverence if it's not obedient. Can I tell you that again? 
You can't reverence God and be disobedient at the same time. This isn't buffet Jesus. You don't get to walk through the buffet and say, I want some of that, or I don't want some of that, or I want some of that. You take the whole counsel of the Word of God and everything in it that it commands you to do, and you do that because that's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter if it makes you comfortable. It doesn't make it matter if it makes you uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if it convicts you. It should convict you. Every time we open up the Word of God, we should be convicted. We should, like Isaiah, say, woe is me. But also, as Paul what would you want? What do you want from me, Lord? Amen? You have to be obedient or you're not reverential. Reverence increases the knowledge of the Holy One. But you have to be obedient. Am I repeating myself? Yes, I am. You know why? Because I want you to hear me at least once. This is what the Word of God says. John 14, 21. You guys have heard this text because I've told you a bunch because I need you to understand that if you want to walk in true freedom, if you want to walk in true relationship, if you want to walk in this case in reverential worship, you'll understand this truth. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Do you have God's commandments? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you have God's commandments? This is God's commandments right here. Those who have the word and keep it. If you don't have his commandments, let me know. I will get you a copy of his commandments. Because I am, I am absolutely certain that you must read your word to be in proper relationship with the Lord. And so he says, those who have my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So he says, be obedient and you'll prove your love for me. But then he continues on. He says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. Keep my commandments. You prove that you love me. But you know what? Because you keep my commandments, my God will prove his love to you. And I will love him. Keep my commandments. Be obedient. You'll prove your love for me. God will love you, and I will love you. And that's a whole lot of love going on. But let me tell you something. We're talking about increasing our knowledge of God through fearful worship. That's not the end of that text. The end of the text says, and I will disclose myself to him. You know what that means? It means I'll give him revelation. How many of you guys want to know more about God than you know right now? Amen, I do. I've been studying since I got saved in 2006. And the only thing I've learned is that I, learn, I know less than I know, than I think I know every time I learn something new. This, this hole that of stuff that I don't know seems to get deeper. <laughs> but it's still my place to chase and be obedient to that which I know. Amen? And so in reverence, we grow. It's interesting to me that in the final discourse of John, and what I mean to say by that is the night before Jesus Christ was crucified, as you know, he had, or you may not know, he had, he took the Last Supper, what we know as the Last Supper with his disciples, and he washed their feet. 
And then the final discourse starts. And the final discourse is Jesus' explanation to them very specifically about what's about to happen. And I hear people say this. They say, well, Judas was there too. Jesus ate, or they say, and I've even seen it on a t-shirt, Judas ate too. He washed Judas's feet. Judas got his feet washed too. That's true. But you know what? He was never clean and he was never fulfilled because he never got true revelation of who Jesus was. And because he didn't accept the revelation that he had, Jesus wasn't willing to give him additional revelation. So he dismissed him before he started the final discourse. He said, go do what you're going to do. And that should weigh heavy on us. Because God, what if he dismisses us? Because we're not paying attention and not doing what it is we're supposed to be doing. He says, you go do what you're going to do. This group of people over here that are listening, I'm going to reveal myself to them. We're all, man, I wish I knew just a little bit more. Maybe you should be a little more obedient. When I do counseling sessions, when I have somebody come to the church, premarital counseling or whatever, I'll tell them, I'll talk, spend 30 minutes with them, an hour, depending on what their situation is. And then I'll give them action steps. I'll say, do this, read this, do this. And then we set another date, they come back. Very first thing I ask them is, did you do this, this, and this? If they say no, we're done. Because I'm not going to tell you the second thing to do if you haven't done the first thing. And that's me and my imperfect thinking. God and his perfect thinking is that much more. Why would I give you more of myself if you haven't taken that which I've given you and done something with it? That requires reverential attitude, a fearful attitude of worship from us. Amen? But that's beautiful because in reverence, we grow in the knowledge of His grace. In reverence, we grow in knowledge of His holiness. We grow in knowledge of His power. We grow in knowledge of His sovereignty. We grow and grow and grow. As I'm obedient, as I am reverent to the Word of God, I come to understand how big His grace is. Can I tell you, when I, had, when I gave my life to the Lord, I had a, this much idea of what God's grace was. Now my, I have this much idea of what God's grace is. But it's bigger than it was. Why do I need to know how big God's grace is? Because it's God's, by God's grace that I'm given everything I never deserved. His love, His comfort, His protection, all of these things come from Him because He is a God of mercy who loves me. And as long as I pursue Him in reverential worship, my knowledge of Him will increase. And as my knowledge of his, Him increases, my understanding of my blessing and my place and my responsibility increases. Amen? But not just that, His holiness. I've been called to grow in holiness. I can't grow in holiness if I don't know what holiness looks like. And I can't know if, what holiness looks like if I'm not in reverential worship in pursuit of God. Oh, man, I'm never going to see holiness. You're going to see holiness. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. God has never told you to do anything you can't do. Now, he has told you to do some stuff you can't do on your own. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. But we should chase after holiness with everything that we have. And we're capable of doing that as we chase after him with everything that we have. His power. 
Man, if I could tell the world anything, stop worrying about your life. The same God that created the universe, set it into motion and keeps it perfectly has the power to take care of you. Has the power to hold you. Has the power to protect you. Has the power, according to his word, to hold you in his righteous right hand. Has the power and the ability to know the number of your days before you live the first one. That's the power of God. If anybody is for us, if he's for us, who can be against us? That's the power of God. Rest in that. Why do I tell you to be a person of worship? Not only because God expects it, but because in my increasing understanding of grace, of holiness, of God's power, Man, I have God's peace. And never more so than when I understand God's sovereignty. Man, when I understand that God knows and is in charge, it doesn't matter what politics look. I don't even watch the news anymore. People are, you don't watch the news, you, don't get, you got to worry about what's happening in Russia. I'm like, why do I got to worry about what's happening in Russia? Russia's not affecting me here. And the day it starts affecting me here, I'm going to stand firm in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because God hasn't abdicated his throne to Russia or Biden or Trump before him. God hasn't given his throne to anybody. He's still in charge of it. And because he's still in charge of it and he loves me, I can count on his protection. I'm not worried about the people are all, during COVID. You're going around, man. You're going around to hospitals and visiting folks. Yeah. You know why? Because I trust the sovereignty of God. If he knew the number of my days before I lived the first one, then he knows when I'm going to die. And so I might as well spend whatever days I have serving and loving people. That's worship. Amen? Ooh, man, I'm going to start preaching. I'm just telling you, reverential worship increases knowledge of the Holy One. Gives us a greater understanding of who Father is. Secondly, reverential worship remembers judgment. In this same text, it continues with, if you address the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Did you, did you hear that? I reverentially worship God. I chase after Him. I'm obedient to Him. I fear Him because I know that there's a time for judgment coming. I know there's going to be a time where I'm going to stand before God. At the great white throne of judgment, and He's going to tell me one of two things. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, for I never knew you. And of course, those things based on my declaration of Christ Jesus. But did you know there's another judgment after that one? A lot of Christians don't know this. It's crazy to me. There's a great white throne of judgment where you'll be told whether or not you get to stay. And then there's the Bema seat of judgment, the Jesus judgment, where he's going to judge your works. There's going to be a time where you're going to be held accountable for everything you've said and done. And you'll receive rewards based on those things. Man, I, I'm not worried. Well, I'm not going to say I'm not worried because it does freak me out about necessarily the great white throne. I'm worried about having to explain to Jesus even after he saved me all the places I fell short while looking him in the eye doing it. 
that brings me to a place of reverence. Even now, that causes my stomach to turn, my heart to speed up a little bit. I get a little flush in my neck, thinking that the holy God, I'm going to have to say, yes, sir, I did that. Yes, sir, I did that after I accepted the blood that you shed on my behalf. What will I, what will I be judged on? Can I, can I tell you there's three things you're going to be judged on? Your confession of Christ Jesus first. We've talked about that, the great white throne of judgment. The second is your Christ-likeness. Specifically what I mean is your fruits of the Spirit, how you lived out the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're going to be judged on Christ-likeness. You say, well, you just said fruits of the Spirit. They're the same thing. Where do you think the Spirit came from? The Spirit is of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is of the Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, fully man, fully God. He was perfect love. He was perfect joy. He was perfect patience. He was perfect self-control. He was perfect. He Well, He is, right? But even as He walked on the earth, He is all of those things. And so we're going to be judged on our confession and our pursuit of Christ-likeness. You know, what if I get it wrong? Did you grow? You know, the great thing about fruit is it grows. People ask me, how many people got saved in your church this year? Did you know I don't keep count of that? You know what I keep count of? Baptisms. You know why? Because anybody can say I made a confession of Christ, but only time's going to prove that true. I keep, I keep count of baptisms because at least that's a step of obedience. Amen? And so we pursue. Am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I better yesterday than I was a year ago in these areas? Man, if every Christian would take the time and in fear ask God, God, where do I lack in my Christ-likeness? Filter their life through that and then live according to the answer that he gives you, your whole life would be different. But not only that, not only our confession, our pursuit of Christ-likeness, but also our good deeds. These are all proof of our salvation. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May people see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. How does your light shine? Do people know you? Do people know God because they know you? My wife and I have a sign in our house right next to the front door that says, live your life in such a way that the people who don't know God but know you come to know God because they know you. Well, that'll get you, won't it? Do people know God because they know you? How's your light shining? I don't want to get you confused. You're not saved by your works. You're proved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith. 
But let me tell you, when you taste grace, you're going to want to tell somebody. You're going to want to put your hand to something. That's the reason why I press you guys so hard. I know, man, I'm one of those pastors that people are all, man, Pastor Jim always saying something crazy. Always asking me to do something else. You know why? Because I want you to be your, live your life as though it is an act of reverential worship. Because I want people to see you and in seeing you come to know him. Amen? And then finally, reverential worship recognizes the time. He says, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth. You know, the Bible says your life is but a vapor. You're not promised tomorrow. I've been, I've been all over the world. I've been to India, Israel, Middle East, Germany. I, I've, I've been so many places, and they were all awesome in their own way. Some of them a little less so. But the best, coolest place I've ever been was Israel. Man, I loved it there. It was beautiful. The architecture was beautiful. The history was beautiful. When you could align it with Scripture, it was incredible. It was just, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, go to Israel. But let me tell you, as much as I loved it, I didn't learn Hebrew. As much as I loved it, I didn't buy any land there. I didn't, I didn't start appropriating the culture. You know why? Because I didn't live there. I'm a citizen of the United States. I don't need to know Hebrew. Let me take that and push it into the eternal for you. Bible says you're a sojourner. You're a visitor of another land. Why are you appropriating culture? Why are you buying land in a country? And I mean that metaphorically. But why are you buying land in a world that doesn't belong to you? Why are you learning a language that you don't need? Time is short. Judgment's coming and we'll be judged impartially according to the word of God. But our time is short. Let's seize the time that we have and be worshipers. Be people who in reverence walk in obedience and adoration to God so that we might know him better so that others through us might know him also. Amen.